1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: When I was a little kid, my dad was a cop. You see, dad was a cop in Sydney in the 1980s at the height of its most corrupt, violent, bizarre period, at least as far as crime and policing went. And when I was a kid, I stumbled into some of his case files, quite literally, and saw some incredibly disturbing crime scene photos. And I was plagued by recurring nightmares for years and years. And so, one day, I decided to ask him what exactly he went through all those decades ago on the streets of North Sydney. So I pulled out a tape recorder, this tape recorder actually, and I got it all on record. I read a book about it, in fact, it's called Loose Units. And like I said, we went to some deep, dark, disturbing corners of policing, and it was all on the record. Well, not all of it, actually. That's why we're here. Lots of it was too strange, too horrible, too, well, loose, funnily enough, to make it onto the pages of Loose Units. And in Loose Units, the podcast, right here every week, I'll sit down with Dad in the same room that we recorded the book sessions in, and we will go places we never did in the book itself. Enjoy. Enjoy. It's time for another episode of Loose Units, um, Dad. What do you have for us this week? Or I mean, you look like you're frantically pouring through your notebook. Do you, are you are you locked and loaded? Are you
3: ready to go? Well, Paul, normally I like to give you a keyword, which I didn't get to give you, so I'm going to give you the keyword car wash. So now it's my job to talk about car washes, or no, no, no. but this is a, this is a sweet and really nice story about how sometimes one good turn can possibly deserve another. You're turning inside. Into- pull quotes and it's all this is a heartwarming tale from Paul, the, Yeah, Paul this is a great yarn now important for the listeners all of those tens of thousands of listeners out there mm. that in later life I went on to become an antique dealer and value of fine art which sounds a bit wanky although the last bit sounds a bit wanky but you know I dealt in antiques and my wife and I had two antique shops in Sydney and I as an antique dealer I used to advertise extensively and i got this call one day to this mansion in clifton gardens now clifton gardens for those that don't know i guess a lot of you have heard of taronga zoo and then for those of you that have been to taronga zoo you drive through mossman down toward the zoo and you drive through clifton gardens now clifton gardens Puts Turak to shame, with the greatest of respect. To no, I, I honestly, I think Turak puts Turak to shame. But anyway, yeah, yeah, fair enough. But yeah. Clifton Gardens is a tiny, tiny suburb in Sydney that is just—it blows your mind. Mm. Now, I go to this incredible mansion. Exactly. Hang, on, hang, on, hang on, just quickly, just quickly. I think maybe you should
2: tell the story. The, the, the past bit of this story first don't you don't want to do it that way because no. one of the things about writing the book was that I was I, I was in charge of the structuring
3: but if you um, do you want me to just let this roll yep. let it roll because um, because it's a, it's a it's a great yarn okay because it means that sometimes in life look I've just said it but my point is that I rock up to this mansion in Clifton Gardens and, and I and I recognised it from my early days in the police force mm. But I couldn't quite remember what it was about this place. Now, there was a very, I won't say notorious, but mm, slightly notorious, well-known family in Mossman. Yeah, that's
2: much better. I'm not notorious. I'm slightly notorious. Yeah,
3: and, and they owned the whale car wash in Mossman and one in Bondi. And the guy's name, I can tell his name because it's, it's a good story, was Sid Chambers. Oh. <clears throat> and you know, he was a sweet guy. And he would purchased this amazing house that belonged prior to them buying it to the Founder of an owner of the Hayden Orpheum Cinemas, mm. which is a, a, an iconic cinema complex on the northern beaches. And when you go into those incredible Art Deco cinemas, there are these beautiful gilded Art Deco statues of these amazing women. And when I went into the mansion in Clifton Gardens, in the entrance foyer was one of these original gilded statues. And the, the, the owners of this house had told me that that had been left there by the previous owner who'd set up the cinemas. So I knock on the door and this lovely lady comes to the comes to the door and we go inside and she is showing me some amazing antiques to purchase. And it was a really, really important quote for me because I just started out and I'm looking for really good stock for our shops. Yeah. And it was a big quote and there was some, some amazing stuff and I kind of felt, you know, I was a bit out of my league and would I have enough money and, you know, because this was sort of the big league. And anyway, so I did my quote and she said to me, you know, i I think I've met you before. And I said, oh, I said, I said, yeah, I have this feeling that I may have been to this house once many, many years ago. And she, she began to tell me this amazing story, which I shall now relate to you. Oh, you're right. It was better this way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I was a, again, I was working at Mossman and I, I guess this, this series of podcasts seems to be on, on the surface and perhaps if you delve a little bit deeper, mm. Mossman centric. Yeah. And it was around about about three o'clock on a midday, a midweek um, afternoon. Because the shifts back in those days, we used to do, you know, the day shift was 7 a.m. till 3 p.m. Afternoon shift was 3 p.m. till 11 p.m. And then uh, night shift, 11 p.m. till 7 a.m. And the nights were seven nights straight and you were knackered. Because sometimes you'd finish in the morning and you'd, have to, you'd have to go to court. So you were delirious. Anyway, on change of shifts, that was a time when, you know, it was difficult for the public to get service, so to speak, because, you know, the the, the, the going shift don't want to get involved in anything and the oncoming shift have to organise their stuff. And I got this call, because if you pick the phone up at Mossman, you know, you didn't know what people were going to be saying. And it was this lovely lady, and she said to me, now this is just quite surreal, she said, my son is being bullied on his way home from school. Now... I can assure you that 99.9% of police at least, the very least, would internally laugh and no one would ever do anything about it. Can you imagine police getting involved in bullying? God no. Because, but I thought, you know, I'm coming on for the afternoon. Um, I didn't know where they lived. I knew that they were in the area Mm. And and, and the story resonated with me. So I was a senior guy. So when my partner came on, I said, we're going to go and just check this job out. And we drove and we drove as fate would have it to this mansion in Clifton Gardens. And I met a younger version of the woman that I'd met as an antique dealer and her son, a lovely, lovely little boy, he was probably six years old. He was crying and he was explaining that, you know, he used to come home from this really nice school and he was often bullied. And I decided as a as a young police officer and a father to be of you, funnily enough, mm. that I because I don't like bullying, and I thought, you know what? Here's an ex- here's a here's a case where, as a police officer, yeah, it's a bit weird getting involved in this, but hell, let's let's do something. So I worked on that tiny, tiny little sort of event, um, had it re- had it resolved. Now, what does that mean? Well, I you didn't pistol whip any children, did you? <clears throat> I don't know, but. Um, The next day, um, we pulled up at the primary school Mm. in the police car, and we let it be known to all the kids that I was a friend of that little boy. Right. So I went up and, you know, patted him on the shoulder and said, is everything okay? And and then he sort of got a little bit of credibility, street cred, if you'd like to say, and everyone was kind of going, wow. Because police are generally, particularly with little kids, sort of, kids tend to like police. Yeah. It's not until they get older that they hate them. (laughs) And... um, (laughs) God. Which is a shame. Yeah. But um you know, and, and, and gave this kid like having the police go out the front of the school and it was and the mum was so just appreciative and thinking, you know, this guy has really gone above and beyond. But you just gave him a bit of a pat you didn't go, there you go, sport, take my gun. No, <laughs> no, 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 nothing. Just just all very very nice and very, very harmless. Um, okay, so mm. uh a positive result. Yeah. And Here's the weird thing. Now, the listeners are going to be going, hang on a sec, where's this story going? Mm. Well, I'll tell you. <clears throat> Here is an amazing part to that story. And this is quite surreal when I look back on it. And it's true, so that makes it even better. Back in the 80s in the police force in Sydney, there were some notorious criminals. Uh, very famous criminals. You know, there was Abe Saffron, and you know all, all the bad people. But they was a criminal standover man on the northern beaches called Tim Bristow. He was a uh, you know muscle man, uh, sort of a sort of a you know scary guy for hire. Mm. He Tim Bristow ended up becoming the godfather of the young boy that I helped. Now that's amazing. Secondly, when I went to do the quote on the antiques, more than thirty years later the mother reminded me of this amazing police officer. And she'd never forgotten that story. And I was able to tell her in the foyer of her house that that police officer was me. I gave your kid the gun that day. Yep. And as a result of that, she accepted my lowly quote. Oh, shit! Yeah, and she also said to my amazing, lovely Christine, my wife, your mum, she said to Christine on the QT that, you know, we really, really... We think the world of John, and he. We knew his quote wasn't that great, but we really liked him and felt that this was a great way to. Now, isn't that amazing? So um,
2: you basically help the kid who was getting bullied, you know, and then decades later, you're on an antique haul and you don't have much capital, and this woman cuts you a break because you're the kid who you're the guy who saved her right.
3: kid. Yeah, isn't that a lovely story? Yeah.
2: yeah, you know, it gets me thinking about car washers because you said they own the Whale Car washers. Yeah. Um, When I was about five or six, uh, I developed a pathological fear of car washes. Do you remember why? Well,
3: um, Christine and I, when you you and your sister were very little, Mm. we, uh, you know, being on a police officer's salary back then was laughable. And, you know, we were battling, living on the northern beaches, renting an apartment. And I managed to scrape together enough money to buy my mum and dad's secondhand falcon. And, you know, I'm not going to say we were so poor that we, you know, had nothing. But we, we, were, we were doing it pretty tough. And for entertainment, and this is going to sound a bit weird, uh, we used to go on a Sunday mm. to a particular car wash in Collaroy. And it was one of those ones with the huge sort of big wheel of felt and fur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it spins and it comes towards you. But Christine and I, on my because it was my mum and dad's car that we bought... It had this metal sun visor. Yeah, yeah. And there was a tiny, 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 tiny sign at the car wash that said not to use if you've got a sun visor, but I hadn't read that. So one day you and Anne are sitting in the back of the car, wide eyed. This is like the high point of the week. This was like going to the pictures. It was like a roller coaster, basically. A roller coaster. And we would drive this car into this amazing car wash. Mm. And one day, imagine this, you're in the back, both of you in your little kitty seats, and the big wheel of felt spinning rapidly immersed in froth comes toward, it runs itself up the bonnet, and what it's supposed to do, it's supposed to then Sort of magically follow the windscreen, go over and then down, and it sort of it, it, it it's sort supposed of to wash the car. Wash the car, but it traces the profile of the car. But because of the sun visor, which is a metal thing bolted into the front of the car, some of the curly things actually got caught in the visor. And what happened was it then didn't go up and over, it went through, through. our windscreen. <laughs> And Christine and I... Well, Christine's in the front of the car screaming. I'm probably screaming too. (laughs) And you kids are in the back looking at this huge thing. And it was just filling the car with with water and foam. Mm -hmm. And it just kept turning. And it was literally... It stopped millimetres from my face. It's taken out the entire windscreen. (laughs) It's it's, It's torn the visor off the front. It it, it literally... It almost took the roof off the car. Mm. Now, to have four people in the car experiencing that. I mean, it was absolutely horrific. Destroyed a lot of the car. Yeah. And then when I went over to the attendant in shock and very wet to explain what had happened, he then drew my attention to the sign sure. that said, you know, don't go into the visor. Mm. So that's that story. Do
2: you think if it had been a whale car wash, you could have pulled in some favours and maybe gotten them to compensate? Yeah, maybe. So yeah. what I want to ask is, that's an interesting situation in which you are presented out of uniform in real life with a crisis Um, I wanted to very quickly before we wrap this episode up talk about what happens when an off-duty cop is presented with situations like moments of crisis and conflict outside of duty. Do you tackle them differently? For example, re the bullying. I was bullied pretty badly at school later on. As a cop, were you tempted to step in? With you being bullied? Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, um, you were bullied really badly at... um at a school on the northern beaches you can name that. saint augustine's no no saint paul's South in Manly, Pouls. yeah and uh a guy uh you know those wire brushes that they use for welding to knock off all the slag once they've done the welding mm-hmm. and this particular guy he, he um he sort of used this brush on the back of your leg behind your knee and removed a lot of skin and christine and i were absolutely appalled and we went to the school to complain mm-hmm. And they said, oh, you know, it's." and we said, well, no, this is an assault. And they said, oh, well, you know, maybe Paul sort of, um, you know, contributed. To, and we went, look, I'm sorry, but we're going to take this matter to the police. This is an assault. Mm. So, yeah, we did sort of step up on that day. And, but if
2: you'd been a cop at the time, what would you have done, do you think?
3: Look, um, schools are very, they're tough places. They're basically prisons. Look, it's depressing. You know, I, yeah, I'm not, not overly... Uh, impressed with some of the things that, that, that go down. Um, look, it's a tough one. Um, if there's been a clear assault, mm. like a really something bad, uh, you, yes, you know, the police can get involved. I remember when I was in fourth class mm. at Curl Curl Primary School, a school on the Northern Beaches, and my dad taught there, yeah. and that school was a really, really tough, tough school. And we had a guy in our class that was a real troublemaker, I remember his name, and he unfortunately, well, he had glasses and he was a bit of a, you know, he was a pest. That's not saying I wasn't a pest. But in this particular uh, lesson, we had this amazing Canadian teacher. He was such a great guy. And, um, and, you know, he was just a fill-in teacher. And he was really just, we, we, we loved him. He was, he was cool and refreshing. And, and this particular student uh, was, was being, you know, really pushing all the buttons, Mm. and this amazing uh, Canadian teacher grabbed this guy, pulled him out of his seat, and marched him to the back of the class and threw him up against the wall, which we all thought was fantastic. And it was just fibro wall, and the kid went through the wall. Jesus. Right through, and he went through into the next classroom. (laughs) Oh, my God. And we were all quietly going, yay, this is great, because the guy was was... you know how sometimes in life there are people that are just not nice people and, you know, the class is sitting there or people are sitting there or it's a, wherever you are, there's, there's, a, there's a group of generally people are, are being really, really decent and there's one asshole. and quietly a lot of the people are thinking, you know what, it would be really nice if someone actually did something, but no one generally does. Um, you know, I went to Beacon Hill High School, which was a tough school that no longer exists and uh, we had a guy in our form that was, he was just, he was, you know, I don't know what to say but he was he was bad and we had an ex-international rugby union player teacher not australian rugby union i think he played for wales and this teacher he he just had had enough and we were all down on the back oval and this particular student who was a fuckwit of the first order Mm. and everyone was really scared of him because he was a He was a bully and really a nasty piece of work and we're all just sitting there just all pretty chilled and this uh, international rugby ex-rugby footballer who was the pe teacher he called him up in front of there were probably 200 boys there and uh he, he he punched him in the face jesus the teacher and knocked him out in front of 200 of us and it was a it was one of those great moments where we all thought, fuck you, you deserved it, you're a dickhead. And this guy eventually picked himself up and he went up to the, the principal, whose name was Harry Tierney, that was about 300 years old, this old principal. And he came back with the principal yeah. like, down to the, the PE field. We're all sitting there and, and, and Harry Tierney, the old principal, says, uh, you know, this is this is the allegation and, and clearly, you know, we, I want to know whether this happened and did anyone see what happened. And 200 people had witnessed this and we all just said no. No, nothing happened. And that's how it was dealt with, which reminds me of another really good story, perhaps not for the podcast, and this is going to make me sound really bad, but it's the time I shot the school captain. You that story? <laughs>
2: okay, first of all, it's, it's tantalisingly bad broadcasting to tease a story that is like the coolest thing ever and then not tell it. We've got like five minutes directly yeah Yeah. don't rush it though i just want to quickly say that what you're describing sounds suspiciously like frontier justice and as a cop you don't get to dole out justice in that way and it seems like your method of policing was the antithesis of that you were very much like you were by the by the numbers right you weren't
3: i mean the book is called loose units but you weren't no no but i also i went the other way where i'd stretch the rules in, in a good way Right, uh, where I'd, if if I could let someone off, or give a caution, or you know use my own discretion, and believe you me, I, I used a lot of discretion in the police force, yeah. and and I'm not not happy with it. Uh, there there would be people today there I can tell you for a fact that on the on the balance of probabilities, there are at least four practicing lawyers in the world that owe their lo- legal career directly to an incident that happened one night where I did not arrest and charge them because if you were doing law back then and it's probably the same today
2: Wait, sorry just to clarify you mean that there was a case where there are a bunch of people who are now lawyers yes, who they, you they,
3: let they, go they were university students at Sydney University all studying law mm-hmm. and if I had have arrested and charged them that night they would not be practicing law today okay
2: okay because you know that's but we'll save that for another sure 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 okay well look um, I mean I'm, I'm pretty satisfied that you're not like
3: like a badass sheriff wandering around you know doling out frontier justice I do believe in star chamber You know, there's that amazing look. I understand summary justice and how. Mm. Look, I get it, but I think people like Duarte are just. I think it's horrific and a nightmare because we need due process, due justice. We need justice has to be seen at least to be you know, because there are innocent people that are put away for terrible things. And you know, if you go down that path, you end up killing people, shooting people that you just don't like. Yeah. You know, it's it's frightening. So we're lucky in this country that we have a system. Yeah. um, but, you know, you've got to be careful of mob rule. And But when I was in the police force in the 80s, believe you me, the, the, the police, some of the police, particularly detectives, and, and a couple of uniformed guys that went on to become detectives, they were fucking hard people. Yeah. And if you got on the wrong side of them, you were in the shit. Oh, okay, well, look, um,
2: we, we're going to deal with detectives more later in the season, but for now... Please tell me that
3: story that you were going to tell me. Okay, so this story is going to seem a little bit surreal and perhaps bizarre to a lot of people. However, in context, you've got to appreciate that, um, you know, Kmart, Target, all those uh, Woolworths, those types of shops back in the 1980s, you could go there, you could go to Kmart at Worrywood and buy a shotgun and ammunition over the counter. Okay? Like, that's pretty amazing. Hmm. So, at the high school I went to, Began Hill High... When I was in year 10, they had a shooting club and they had... uh, Because there was a particular maths teacher. He was a lovely guy, a bit crazy. And he had somehow wrangled 15 uh, slug guns. And believe you me, a slug gun can kill you pretty easily if it's pointed in the right direction. Mm. And But it was Mm. a senior thing. It was for years, you know, fifth and sixth formers, which is the equivalent of years 11 and 12. Yes. And I was was probably maybe 15 years old In, in year probably... Let me think about this, the third form, maybe year, what would that be, year nine? But I was sort of a pretty cool sort of a guy, and I I knew some of the senior guys. And I remember going over to this group of guys that were... Because I was a crack shot. I actually won a shooting competition when I was 12, and I, I I was pretty good. And I said to one of the guys, look, can I have a go of your uh, slug gun? Mm. And these were rifles. It's surreal to think about that this actually happened. Anyway... <laughs> I um, pointed the gun down way, 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 way down onto the field and to show, to demonstrate what a great shot I was, there was this guy walking. He was going home and he had a suitcase and it turned out that he was the school captain. I didn't know that because he was about 200 metres away.
2: He was too far away to discern who, who he was. And yeah. he had his
3: back to me. Yeah. And I aimed my gun at him and I shot him in the leg. And I'll never forget, and everyone's going, oh, this is not good. And he put the bag down and he turned around and he walked slowly all the way back to this group and basically everyone was just pointing at me and what he did he cracked the, um, cracked the, uh, the barrel of the slug gun mm-hmm. and he didn't put a slug in it he got a piece of chalk and he wedged chalk into where you would put the slug mm-hmm. he then closed the gun and he put the barrel on my foot because I had shoes on and he put it right at the top where the laces are and he just went and he shot the chalk into my foot he then put the gun down, and then he just walked away. He never said anything, and he walked into the distance, got his bag, and that was it. So what, you have chalk in your foot now? Well, the chalk was like being tattooed. It kind of went in through the skin, and, and it was bruised, and it was pretty pretty painful. But that's kind of a story about... Well, it's a firearm story. It's a weird story. Yeah, but
2: what I wanted to point out is that like, we've talked about the fact that it's it's. you said it was silly for people to demand crack shot skills from police like don't try police's job isn't to disarm you it's not to like put like shoot the knife out of your hand it's not to shoot you in the leg you have just displayed that you had the skills to do that mm. right so why couldn't you do that well that, that's going against protocol unless it's the school captain correct how far away was he by the way uh, 200 meters nice Bloody good job. nice we can end there <laughs> So there you have it, another episode of Loose Units, the podcast, done and dusted. We wanted to keep it light and fun this week, because basically, it's, it's Christmas time, obviously. But more importantly, next week's episode of Loose Units is going to be intense. I mean, really intense. So consider this an advanced trigger warning, because it deals with some very violent stuff, it deals with suicide, and it deals with some cases that have never seen the light of day, I believe. So we obviously wanted to give you a bit of a, a, bit of a palate cleanser before... Who really got into the deep and dirty stuff. Also, Loose Units has a Facebook page. It's for the book and for the podcast. So hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Loose Units for news, reviews, updates, you name it. As well as some pretty swish photos from the official Loose Units photo shoot that Dad and I did. In case you're curious as to what we look like when we're riffing about true crime together. Although, to be fair, we're wearing suits and normally dress up quite that much. Also, as I mentioned, um, it is Christmas, obviously, uh, so don't forget, Loose Units the podcast is set during the events of my book, Loose Units, which Michelle Laurie said was a, and I quote, a fantastic book with some of the most graphic testimony I've ever heard, and Peter Hellyer said was a cracking crime page turner, it's so damn good, I am blushing, you guys. It's in bookstores nationwide, and it'll make a fantastic Christmas present, but also, it'll just make a good present, Period. Um, so make sure you go and grab your copy before they sell out. And in your bookshop, if your local bookshop doesn't have any, um, you can just go up to the counter and get them to order it for you. Or uh, you can grab it from any number of bookstores nationwide. You can grab it online. I know it's on Amazon. Uh, there's e-books. The audiobook is coming in the new year. It's It's been a really great journey, and thank you so much for being part of it. Don't forget to grab loose units the book right now. We also have some pretty big Loose Units news coming in the new year. So keep your ears peeled. That sounds violent. And again, speaking of violent, next week's episode is going to be insane. I'll see you then.
0: Hold up. What was that?